0: Exodus 3. I've preached this thought in a different way in the past two years here for the church family, but there's something fresh and new this morning that the Lord has for us. Go to the first verse of Exodus 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. God said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes, off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster. For I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, for just a few minutes, Lord, we ask you to touch this moment of study, of searching, of pursuing God through your word. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. God, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, Lord, that you would equip me to say what you want me to say. God, that you would drive home the point that you want made here today. Lord, I pray that you'd keep me out of the way and use me as your vessel. In Jesus' name, we humbly ask, Amen and amen. I've reviewed the past few years, the special services, the incredible moments that God has given us through our transitions and homecomings and special jubilees and revival spirits that have broken out. We have been blessed as of late. There's been great liberty to preach here. The baptismal pool is very frequently filled with fresh water, new converts being baptized and folks joining the church, we're in a very special season of life and growth here at Trinity. Uh, we've been blessed with people who paid the price for us to be where we are today. The blessing and the benefit of other people. Uh, we are eating, many of us, from harvests that we did not sow the seed. There are fields that have been tilled and plowed and uh, we didn't do the work, but we are enjoying the benefit of what God's done. And part of that incredible legacy and heritage has to do with obedience, uh, recognizing that God has expectations of his children, recognizing that God loves us enough to hold us to a standard In other words, my relationship with Jesus is just that. It is a relationship. I do not participate in vain glory. I do not participate in vain repetition. I do not uh, serve in a religious ideology. Rather, I have a personal relationship with the God of heaven and earth. He knows me and I know him. It's a personal relationship. But he loves me enough in that relationship to hold me to a standard. In other words, he expects me to live a particular way. He expects me to fear him, to respect him. And when he calls or when he beckons through his word and through divine providence, it's my job, it's my duty to respond to the beckoning call of God. I do not care for nor do I think it should be legal to eat or possess tofu. <laughs> Miranda, somehow, some way, stomachs the vile soy bean curd gelatin. But when I look at tofu, I see something that's not real. I see something that's fake. Especially if that tofu has been pressed in some sort of mold and it wants to uh, call itself a burger or a turkey tofu hot dog. I don't know. You tell me. I don't really participate. But part of my issue with tofu is that it's always trying to be something that it's not, it's just not real. I like real, I like authentic. If I'm going to do something, I want the real experience. I don't want to be on the sideline or I don't want a faux experience. I want to have it for myself. I want to know. I want to put my hands on it. I want to smell it. I want to taste it. I want something that's real. And in my life, my spiritual walk, my walk of faith with the Lord Jesus, I want the same thing. I want something that's real, something that's sustainable, something that I can recognize is not of myself. But rather it's something that God has done for me and through me and by His Son Jesus that's accomplished. But there is this incredible truth that takes place here in this story where Moses is tending to the sheep. He's married a lady named Sephora, her father Jethro. They're there in the land of Midian and remember now Moses is hiding from Pharaoh. He has slain one of the taskmasters. He's a murderer. He's killed an Egyptian who was whipping a Hebrew slave. And in rage and in fury, he struck down this man. And he has fled what was his home. And now he's tending sheep in the land of Midian. And as he's tending sheep, he looks up on the hill. Something catches his eye. And he noticed that there is a bush burning But that bush that's burning is not being consumed. How many people have ever seen a Christmas tree catch on fire, a dry Christmas tree? It's explosive. Within just a few seconds, that Christmas tree is engulfed and it's just smoldering. A few minutes later, it burns so fast. Imagine seeing a bush, a a small bush that continues to burn, but it is never consumed. It never comes to the end of that flame. Well, that's what Moses saw in the land of Midian. And we know through the story that God was using this uh, moment, this special, type of communication to get a hold of moses's attention that moses would get out of what was comfortable for him that moses would break up the routine of his day and that he would move that he would go to where the bush was burning notice that the voice of god is not heard while moses is still noticing the bush it says that Moses turned aside. It caused Moses to change his direction and go towards the bush. And for us as Christians, there is always for us, there is always for us a burning bush of God's influence. A burning bush of God's voice. A burning bush of joy and peace and knowledge, and it comes from the Word of God. Uh, But the problem is some people see the burning bush, if you will. Uh, Your burning bush this morning, for the sake of, uh, of understanding, it's in your lap. We'll all pull up our burning bushes here, our communication with God, what we know of God. Remember now, we find that in the Word of God. Our Bible is our connection to the Lord. And here is your burning bush. But the problem is people look at the burning bush and they leave the burning bush be. There's never an opportunity to recognize that there's something special here going on. There's something that can change my life. I will turn aside and go to it. Moses had to have a break in his daily routine. He had to have a break in what he was doing before he could hear the voice of God. In other words, God is never going to show you or speak to you or give you the wisdom or give you the peace or give you the knowledge if you stay down with the sheep in Midian. Rather, God's expectation for us to have a real encounter with him, to really embrace what he wants for our lives, requires us to have a posture. It's a very proper posture posture. There is a a, a way for us to know the heart and the mind of God. Uh, The verse says here in verse three, it says, I will now turn aside. Moses had a change of direction. He had a change of destination and he had a change of destiny just because he was obedient this one act of obedience would change Moses' life for all time and for eternity. And it would even have, listen to this, consequence that would be felt all the way down the line throughout redemptive History, Moses' one action of obedience would change everything for his life. But obedience to God is usually the first thing it will cost you to have the encounter with God. Number one, Moses had to have a proper posture, a proper Posture. Before he could encounter the bush, things had to change for his day. He had to move from one place and go to another. And many people look at the blessings of God, they look at the benefit of God, the bounty and the blessing, the peace and the joy that comes from knowing God, but they want the blessing without the obedience. God, I want you to bless me. I want you to bless my family. I want you to answer this prayer request. I want you to do all these great and mighty things. The problem is God is not going to move towards that person if there's not the proper posture. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. This is one of the first things it will cost you. Uh, God even says to Moses as he comes closer, verse number five, he says, draw not nigh hither. Don't get any closer, Moses. You've got on shoes that have been in the world. Get them shoes off your feet because where you're standing is holy ground. It's a special thing to live within the presence of God. It's a special thing to be in the perfect will of God. If you've ever lived in the perfect will of God and right now today you're outside of the perfect will of God, you're uncomfortable If you've ever tasted what it's like to be in the perfect will of God for your life and for your future, and today you sit here and something there is not right, you will be uncomfortable. This is part of the cost, the benefit, and the blessing that God holds us to that expectation. Don't come any closer like you are, Moses. Take your shoes off. I'm going to change you. I'm going to modify you. You're going to become a different man. And if you have ever been in the presence of God, if you have ever been in a place where you're broken and you empty yourself and you say, Lord, fill me, and he responds and he moves, you will forever be a changed person. God's hand moving and manipulating in your life. Once you get a taste of that, Once you know what it is to be in that perfect will of God, nothing could ever compare. But it requires the the proper posture. It will always require the proper posture. There is always a requirement to being in the perfect will of God, to having your prayers answered. The problem is people don't want to pay the price of obedience for the hand of God intervening in their life. You can't sit on a church pew... And claim to be a follower of Jesus. And then when you're not in your blue chair, act like you've never been in that blue chair. Or that you don't know who Jesus is. And then expect things to go well in your life. There is a requirement to an authentic relationship with Jesus. Uh, Number one, a proper posture is always required. Number two, Moses had to understand that this encounter with this bush... This mandate from God was for a particular purpose, a proper posture, but it was also for a particular purpose. God does not waste his time. Let me say that again. God does not waste his time. He does not waste his resources and God never wastes his efforts. God has you here. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in the faith today and you're in the perfect will of God and it's the roughest year of your life. You can still know and you can still trust that because God is In charge, he's high and holy and sees all things and does all things well. That if you're in his will, living for him, doing what he requires of you, yet it's been a terrible year that you can know and you can rest in the fact that God has a particular purpose for the days in which you're living. God never wastes one moment, one hurt, one pain, or one tear. Serving God does not guarantee an easy life. Did you hear what I said? Serving God, going for God, pursuing God and His desire for your life does not guarantee a comfortable, easy life. Some of the most faithful people I know live some of the most miserable existences on this planet. Are they less in the faith? Do they have a partial relationship? No, they're children of the king, yet they do not enjoy many good days that are pain free on this earth. Yet there is a particular purpose for God's hand of intervention in the circumstance in which they are in. This is where we come back to the very difficult thing for sometimes humanity to embrace that everything I go through, everything that I experience, if I'm in the will of God, then everything I go through is for His glory. I'm not here for me. I'm not here to be comfortable. I'm here to carry out the king's work, to do kingdom work. And that does not include comfortable beds of roses. So many of you have been faithful to God, yet you've been to a funeral home. You've been faithful to serve the Lord, yet you've had to go to the hospital. God will never bring you to a place of pain or a hurt and there not be a holy divine purpose. You just may not be able to see it yet. It'll be part of the blessing of being home in heaven. I believe with all my heart that God will reveal everything to us about our lives. I believe with all my heart he'll show us why and when and how this benefited. And for his glory, we went through a particular purpose. And it may have even been a painful purpose. Moses is getting a very large task. He's getting ready to go on a massive trip. This is going to be life-changing. And if Moses is anything like I am, if I'm going somewhere, I want the entire plan. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know how I'm going to get there. If we're going to stop and eat, then I want to know what restaurant we're stopping at, what time we're going to be there. And I'm going to get online, and I'm going to look at the menu where we're going, and I'll know what I want before I get inside the restaurant. Say amen. And then when you get inside and you find out that they didn't update the online menu to match what the menu is now, boy, that's frustrating. I want to know the plan. I want to know how we're getting there. If you'll notice when Moses was given the particular purpose of this encounter with God, God did not hand him the playbook. Moses, this is how we're going to get victory. You're going to run into this. It'll be tough. But if you'll just be faithful on this day, that's not how that worked. God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You've got a job to do. And sometimes where God leads will not make sense to us. We're looking at a glass darkly. We're looking at things that we cannot see. That's why the Bible says he does all things well. But if I'm going to live in his perfect will, there'll always be a particular purpose. God doesn't waste his resources. He has a reason and he has a plan. His plan here, God was very, very aware of the pain and the suffering of his children. I think that's something that we should always take with us is that God knows right where you are today. He says, I'm aware of their affliction at the hand of their taskmaster and I've had enough of what Egypt is doing to my people. And and Moses, I'm going to use you for a particular purpose to set them free. But, But Moses, it'll be my plan. It'll be my way. It'll be my time. Just know that you have to have the proper posture. You have to know it's for a particular purpose. And trust me every step of the way. God's purpose will always be bigger than your passion. Well, I'm passionate about this. I really enjoy doing this or I really enjoy doing that. It could be that God's purpose for your life is bigger than anything you're passionate about now. And once you get in God's perfect plan in his perfect will for your life, then you'll be able to know what real passion is. I can't really do more than Sunday morning. It's just, it's too difficult. We would have to make some changes There would be some some real maneuvering. I don't want to disappoint the kids. Those types of conversations that we have with ourselves internally and with our spouse, and maybe with even a close friend. I think as Christians, when we're doing what James says and we confess our faults one to another, we share that we're having a struggle, a, a doubt, a fear. It's our job then to point them back to the fact that we're here for God's glory, a particular purpose. It's not about me, it's about him and him receiving glory through my life. And once you get there, once you've arrived to that perfect place in God's perfect will, then you'll have something to be passionate about. You can be passionate about his plan for your life. But Moses not only had to understand that the encounter was for a purpose. God had a plan. But number three, Moses had to live on God's powerful proclamation. God made him a promise. Right there, God made him a promise. I so identify with this portion of Moses' life. Because Moses goes, he turns to the side, he goes to where the bush is, he has the encounter with God. God gives him this great task, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to get our people out of there. And then Moses, look what he says in verse number 11. And Moses said unto God, who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? I can't do this. There's no way. I'm a murderer. I'm not very good at speaking. How will Pharaoh even listen to me? I'm going to walk one step in his palace and they're going to behead me. These are the things that would rush anybody's heart, anybody's mind. And sometimes when you're faced with the move that God has placed before you, God has put it on your heart to be faithful to greet, to be faithful to sing in the choir, to be faithful to teach a Sunday school class, to be faithful to have family devotions in your home with your family. And it feels like there's this, I I can't, I'm not good enough, I'm not equipped I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to get to where we're going. God, this does not make sense. How can this be your plan? I'm so thankful that God can take our moments of doubt, our moments of fear, and, and, and maybe even our moments of weakness, and he can get really strong really fast. He'll take a vessel that's broken. He'll take someone like Moses, who was a stum- stuttering murderer, And do something great and mighty and powerful. Moses doubted God. And sometimes you're going to come to a place where you'll doubt God. You'll come to a place in your life where you'll go, God, I'm doing the best I can, but this doesn't make sense. I, I don't see it, I don't understand it. God, are you sure? What am I missing? Are you for real? There may be even some arguments that take place. If you've ever lived long enough on this earth trying to live for the Lord, being His perfect will, you'll find yourself having some moments of heated discussion. Lord, there's no way. Lord, this this can't be your will. I can think of a few times in the past three years I've had those conversations. Are you kidding me? There's no way. But look what God told Moses. This is God speaking back to Moses, verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. Oh, now the game's changed. I don't have to go by myself. God gives Moses the absolute 100% guarantee. You're not going by yourself. I'm going with thee. And it goes on. He says, I will be with thee and this shall be a... Token unto thee that I have sent thee that when thou hast brought, not maybe, not if, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. This word token really got a hold of my heart. I remember being a teenager. I was 12, 13 years old. We had moved to Mexico and we'd come back from Mexico. And now mom and dad tells us we're going to a place called Costa Rica. Right out of God's will. We're going to live outside of the United States of America. Have you lost your mind? This is my first year being on an all-star baseball team. East Asheville baseball needs me. Who's going to play first base? I've got a girlfriend at Asheville Christian Academy. You're going to break her heart. And there we are, headed out. And my granddaddy and my grandmama, they knew it was completely not the will of God, this terrible thing that had befallen me. My mom and dad were being obedient to the Lord, and I thank God for that. But even at 12 and 13 years old, I didn't get it. I don't understand it. How how can this be what my life is going to be? And I can remember we're leaving Asheville Airport. We're taking the U.S. Airways flight to Charlotte, Charlotte to San Jose, Costa Rica. And I'm getting ready to leave the airport, and my granddaddy hands me a little rock. It was about the size of this cough drop. And he said, buddy, take that rock, and I want you to put it in your pocket. And that's going to be your worry rock. I said, my worry rock? What do you mean? He said, every time you get nervous or any time you miss home, any time things don't make sense and you get mad, you get angry, any time you're missing me or your grandmama, I just want you to reach in your pocket and I want you to get that rock out. I just want you to rub your thumb over it. And remember that you'll always have a home. And you'll always have people that love you. And that the Lord's with you. And then he tried to kill my mom and dad in the airport. They confiscated his weapon. No, I'm kidding. We got on the plane. We went and followed God in his will. But I can't tell you how many days, not speaking the language, not having any friends, not knowing where I was, I'd get that rock out and I'd just cry in my bedroom. I'd rub that rock till I'd have a blister on my finger. I'm worried. I'm scared. And what God gave Moses, his token, was his worry rock to put in his pocket. He said, Moses, not only am I going with you, but this shall be a token unto you that when you do complete the mission, when you have accomplished what I have told you to do, you will worship me on this mountain. And you'll have free Hebrew slaves that have just come out of captivity with you, and you will worship me. I am going with you. Church, there is a promise. There is a token. There is a worry rock that's been put in the heart and in the pocket of every believer that's in this room or watching online today. Every single one of us that are in the faith, we've been given our worry rock, our token, our promise. When Jesus took the disciples to the most wicked place on earth at Caesarea Philippi to the temple of Pan, and he lines them up there and he shows them right there in front of the most evil, wicked place in all of earth. Jesus takes his disciples and says, Men, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell of all evil and wickedness will never prevail. It will never overcome my church. That's your worry rock for the days and the hours in which we're living. But church, if we want the benefit and the blessing of being in God's perfect will, not just for our lives individually, but for our homes, do you know that there's a perfect will of God for your home fathers? Moms, do you know there's a perfect will of God for your babies? Do you know that the children, they cannot set the tone or the temperature nor the direction of the home? That it's up to mom and dad to be the Moses, to follow God, to pursue him. And you can live just like Moses did off this powerful proclamation. God's assurances. And then lastly, Moses gets that prophetic promise. Moses, not only are we going to set them free, not only am I going to use you, But you're going to come back to this mountain and worship your token in your pocket. Miss Amber, you can help me on the piano as we close. Moses goes and he's obedient. He does exactly what God tells him to do. And through some very difficult days, some harsh punishments that God took out upon the Egyptian people. Finally, Pharaoh broke. And he said, get those Hebrew children out of here. And something rose up in that wicked man's heart. He pursues them. And then God gives them another victory. He wipes out the army. He sets his people free. But do you realize that this one act of obedience that Moses chose to do, this one turning aside, This one stepping out in faith. It's like a stack of dominoes that started on Mount Horeb and 2,000 years later on Mount Hermon, the final domino fell. If you go to Luke chapter 9, we won't take the time to get there. If you go to Luke chapter 9, you'll see the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus takes... James and Peter and John and he takes them up on the mountain for the final revival service before Jesus is to be crucified in Jerusalem. It says God the Father was there in the Shekinah glory. A cloud covered that mountain. And there the Son of God in His human form and human flesh. It says His countenance changed. And Jesus for the first time, listen to this, for the first time on this earth Jesus became the glorified Godhead member that he would be in heaven, but he did it on top of Mount Hermon. And in his perfect plan, 2,000 years after Moses decided to obey God, to trust God, to pursue God, God gathers a special council to honor his son Jesus before he goes to the cross and is broken off from fellowship. Because Jesus is getting ready to become Winston's sin. And who does God the Father invite to come to the revival meeting to be a part of the special council before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? There in the cloud with God the Father, you find Elijah and you find Moses. And they have a discussion giving Jesus honor and glory. Jesus got a down payment. Jesus got a token. Jesus got a worry rock because he knew what was coming. God the Father allowed Moses to go and to see that his obedience, his faithfulness had eternal consequence. In Trinity Baptist Church, it's easy in a crowd this size to separate ourselves from the duties and the responsibilities of obedience. But just as important as it is for the pastor to be obedient to God, it is just as much important for you to be obedient to God, to have the proper posture, to live in the purpose that He has for your life, and to live to cling to the powerful promises and proclamations that He's made for you. Stop looking to the world to sustain your life and to find hope. Stop going to Instagram looking for something to satisfy your heart and soul, to be able to live for the next few days. Run to the Word of God and listen to what the great I Am said to you. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of souls yet to be saved. But we cannot enjoy the blessing and the benefit without the obedience. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to give any sort of special invitation today. This is very plain and very easy for you to understand. Children, teenagers, young adults, no matter how old you are, it's very simple to understand. My question, my only question, are you being obedient to do what Jesus asked you to do When he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Are you keeping his commandments? Are you pursuing him? Are you going after him? If today you can sit there in your blue chair, or if you're worshiping with us online, and you're in the comfort or the privacy of your own home, or no matter where you are, this is your day to draw a line in the sand and say, God, I want to change. I want to turn aside from what I've been, And be the Christian, the husband, the father, the son, the daughter, the volunteer, the choir member, the Sunday school teacher that you want me to be. I want to be obedient. My only question, is there anyone here today that can say, Pastor, I want to be obedient. Both of my hands are up. I want to be obedient. Anyone else? I want to be obedient to God. Amen. Hands all over the place, all over the building. Miss Amber's going to sing. The altars, they're open. If you need to come do business with God, do not leave the same way you came. Come and lay it at His feet. If you need prayer help, there'll be people to help you pray. Miss Amber, sing that same song you sang right before we preached. This prayer, this blessing, our heart to yours.